Hello there, and welcome to Fuds and Film. This is our intermission episode for March 2022. I'm Drew. Over there's Scott. Well, hello. And without further ado, let's get into the first of two Ryan Reynolds films that we're talking about for some reason. I'm very sorry. <laughs> yes. Scott, yes, The Adam Project. Yes. What's that all about? Uh, in The Adam Project, Ryan Reynolds' Adam Reed finds himself living in a 2050s dystopia, albeit the kind of dystopia that we're told this is a dystopia without much in the way of backup. At any rate, it's bad enough that after his wife goes missing in suspicious circumstances, he steals a time jet and goes after her. Oh yes, time travel exists. Should perhaps have mentioned that earlier. The time cops aren't best pleased with this idea and set off in pursuit, which is enough to knock Adam off his intended time trajectory and land perilously close to his 12-year-old self, played by Walker Scoble, still trying to get over the recent death of his father and bullied for, well, acting like a young Ryan Reynolds, mainly. He's bullied for being short and asthmatic, very far from the hunk of muscle that we're supposed to accept Ryan Reynolds is. Ryan Reynolds produced this film. Just saying. <laughs> uh, anywho, the Adams soon meet up, clash, and then bond just as well as the old Adam is too injured for the DNA-coded time jet to allow him to fly it, but can be fooled by young Adam's presence. Young Adam, in this case, being the younger version of Adam, not the film Young Adam, which is a very different kettle of fish. Um, uh, anyhow, this is this happens just in time as the time cops, uh, the minions of Catherine Keener's Maya Sorian, apparently the iron-fisted ruler of 2050, shows up and starts raising hell only to be thwarted by Adam's wife, Zoe Saldana's Laura Shane, ultimately only to distract the time fascists to allow both Adams to jump a few years into the past to solve the problems by convincing their dad, Mark Ruffalo's Louis, to uninvent the precepts of time travel that he'd come up with in partnership with the treacherous Saurian. And so it goes, to skip over a bunch of details that didn't seem all that important to consider while watching it, and even less so some days removed, which, uh, perhaps surprisingly, is not to say that I didn't get some enjoyment out of the Adam Project. Now, a lot of that will depend on your tolerance for Ryan Reynolds, who here is playing very much the Ryan Reynolds that he always plays, but now with a mini-me playing Ryan Reynolds as well. Uh, for some, this will be 200% more Ryan Reynolds than is strictly healthy. Um, but... Assuming you can clear that hurdle, you're left with a fairly breezy film that's clearly aimed at a far younger crowd than I run with, uh, with a vibe not dissimilar to The Last Starfighter or perhaps director Sean Levy's previous Real Steel, if you want a less geriatric frame of reference. It's exceedingly short on detail in its world and its plot, doing an awful lot of telling rather than showing, and frankly it's almost miscategorised as a sci-fi film in every aspect other than the visuals. Still, it has a couple of decent action flurries to keep the interest levels acceptable, and while the core of the story is the relationships between the two Adams, which turns out to be just the right side of the wholesome slash nauseatingly sentimental line, and the support from Ruffalo and Jennifer Garner as Adam's mother is salt enough. Keener and Saldana are rather less well served, but that's very much a fault of these scripts rather than their ability. So, it's not really a film aimed at me, but even so it passed the time well enough and would seem to be competent enough production uh, such that it should keep the tweens entertained for the evening. I suppose it's a success on these rather mundane grounds, um, and I'd have trouble recommending this where it to involve the palaver of a trip to the cinema, but it's right in that streaming sweet spot in terms of ease of access and competence. It's not setting the world on fire, but at least it's providing a slight glow while the rest of it burns by its own <laughs> contrivances anyway. Yes, uh, this is a film that is replete with all sorts of number of danger signals because it's a sci-fi film from Netflix, you know, yes. oh dear, <laughs> and it has Ryan Reynolds in it, oh dear, 
it is it's not something that had really been on on my radar I don't think I only watched it because you mentioned you've seen it too yeah. and I'll be honest with you Scott and we'll come to the reasons why for this shortly I took quite a chance for this because I thought well Ryan Reynolds has already very much pissed at my chips once this week <laughs> am I going to let him do it a second time and I was quite surprised to find that I actually quite like this hmm. I have most of the same reservations I have that you have it's I mean, I was a little bit worried right from the very beginning because those kind of smart aleck remarks coming out of that kid's mouth just sounded yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, you know, like one of the very first lines is like, did you just buy some sort of bully starter kit from Amazon? <laughs> yes. Um, it's a decent enough line. It just sounded wrong in his mouth. Yeah. It's fine from Deadpool, but maybe not from this guy. Cause... Um, yeah. However, I actually warmed to that over the rest of the film. The chemistry between the the kid and Ryan Reynolds is actually pretty good. Yeah. It's quite warm. It seems quite natural. And they found this um, quite a remarkable young um, actor here, his ability to feel kind of like, yeah, you could see how he would get from that to Ryan Reynolds. Not, yeah. not physically, because mm-hmm. of course, yes, Ryan Reynolds here is a big muscular hunk, as they mentioned many, many times. <laughs> In this film, I didn't actually notice until you mentioned it was uh, produced by uh, Ryan Reynolds. But, but yeah, they, they did a good job of um, finding someone who could do that, who could feel yeah believable as being like a younger version of that person. So uh, all kudos to the kid in particular. Where it suffers is that it's science fiction is not brilliant. The, or in most cases, film. present. Yes, yes. Um it's a much, much stronger footing when it's just doing the relationship stuff. Yeah. It's yeah, quite really entertaining. Is. There's good chemistry there. It's quite funny. Quite touching at times too. Mark Ruffalo's perhaps a little underused. When is he not? When he's in things generally. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like Mark Ruffalo a great deal. It takes a particular downward turn when Zoe Saldana turns up. And, and not because of Zoe Saldana. It's just because at the point where she turns up, it starts trying to be a sci-fi action film and it, isn't very good at it. Mm. Because around about the time she turns up, there's all sorts of faceless bad guys shooting things and it's just, uh, it's all a bit bland and nondescript. Yeah, yeah it's got, got a strange thing where like some of these, um, like some of the fight choreography that happens in it is fine, but it happens one time in the middle of the film and then doesn't happen again. And it feels like very much out of place when you think back on it. So yeah, the, that bit of... That kind of stuff is just it's so it's so generic. Yeah. And the the big set piece at the end is so generic and where the set piece is taking place just feels generic sci fi location thing. It's a bit yeah. all a bit meh. Which is a pity because relationship stuff really, as I said, really quite entertaining and quite touching and really quite well handled. It's well done. And there are the occasional touches that I actually quite liked and it, like it felt like they were in a way quite knowing. Like the you know that for for a long time now, um the sci fi in particular has been associated, particularly in, in posters, but in lots of other ways, it's been associated with orange and blue. <laughs> and when these soldiers from the future die they explode in sort of orange and blue, and I thought that's that's not a coincidence. That's got some <laughs> reference, right? And I quite like that because, like, those are so distinctively the sci-fi colours. So many films have those two, like the the villains in the orange, and once they post the 
as on the blue and was I supposed to hear was in the orange, that sort of thing. It's like, okay, so somebody involved here has like some clever ideas. I appreciate that. And then you have the either de-aged or digital double Catherine Keener, which is straight out of the Uncanny Valley. <laughs> it's super creepy to the point of being almost impossible to watch. Like I was almost turning away from the screen because I was like, oh, this is just too wrong. Take it away, please. <laughs> and yes, the, it, it's science fiction. It's not strong. Apparently being injured alters your DNA. Okay, Sure. You couldn't have written another way that like, you couldn't quite call his ship or something? That, that was a strange uh, to, thing to, to do. To be fair, it wasn't saying it altered his DNA. It just said that it, it thought he was too injured to fly it. But somehow, if you had someone else there as well, that just confused the ship and let it fly. Then, okay. No, no. He, he definitely says at one point, no, your DNA is not damaged because... It, um, yeah. But yeah, I'm not going to get Yes, it's not thought about it too clearly. I don't see why we should. (laughs) Yes. um, So, in that way, I guess it's like a lot of other sci-fi stuff on Netflix. Yes. But beyond that, yeah, it's... Like you said, Scott, I wouldn't suggest you you make great efforts to go and see it. If you had to go to the cinema, then it's not worth it. Yeah. But if you can just sit in your living room and turn it on, for the time it runs for... It's quite acceptable. I can imagine if I'd watched this when I was eleven, I would have loved it. Um, I, because I can, and I can imagine that fairly easily because I watched it when I was forty odd and thought it was pretty decent. And <laughs> yes. if it was something that was a bit more targeted to me and more that kind of reference, I think I would have probably got uh, quite a bit more out of it. And as it stands, it's a perfectly serviceable movie as it is. So yeah, um, no complaints about it. But uh, really, it's a. Uh, Worth a look in at the very least, um, if you're if you're subscribed to Netflix already. Yeah, the best piece like like the characters you know are not complete idiots. Like they <laughs> don't they're not spelling stuff out for the characters' sake, which I quite liked. Yeah, um, and there are a couple of surprising moments. The scene with Ryan Reynolds and Jennifer Garner in the bar. I thought that mm-hmm. was really quite a nice wee scene. Yeah, yeah, it's all it, it's a decent enough film. I still don't regret watching it. However, just not really to do with the film and. Carrying on and on, carrying on an off-air conversation from uh, just before we began, and I know there are many variants of the poster because Netflix talks about a hundred different versions of any given film's poster out for different people. But <laughs> the main poster, at least I've seen on the Wikipedia page, is garbage because it looks like all other posters. It's a huge <laughs> pyramid of heads. It's terrible. <laughs> Why are all posters awful nowadays? Uh, no, Craig once complained very recently about me complaining about posters, saying, who looks at posters? Well, I look at posters, God damn it. <laughs> this one's terrible. <laughs> As they all are, apart from Sonic 2. <laughs> yes, because that's a poster where somebody cared, and that's the problem. <laughs> Nobody else does. Shall we move on then to The Batman, which is a film about, I think, Batman, just going from the title. I've not heard much about it. Yes, it's... Um one of DC Comics' more minor characters, uh, but they're branching <laughs> out. Of the many, many, many negative things one could say about Disney, one thing you couldn't say is they don't have their crap together when it comes to the various properties under their control, most particularly the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Their counterparts over at Warner Brothers, however, seem to have difficulty 
well, difficulty finding their arse with both hands if their efforts <laughs> at their own rushed, poorly planned and inconsistently executed cinematic universe or anything to go by. But after so many bungled attempts to copy Marvel's success, it seems they've decided to tear everything up and start again. Again. <laughs> with the Batman, starring British actor Robert Pattinson as the Caped Crusader, in a film entirely separate from the Man of Steel and Justice League series. Oh, but they're still releasing another film next year featuring Batman, you say? Sorry, featuring two Batmen, Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton. In addition to this? <laughs> oh, well, that doesn't sound at all like a mess. <laughs> How many hands does one need to find one's own arse exactly? Well, for now at least, the Batman, directed by Cloverfield and Worf, the Planet of the Apes Helmer, Matt Reeves, is its own thing, and is probably the better for it. We meet the Batman after he's been doing his vigilante thing for about two years, and he's not yet a household name in Gotham City, though he's getting there. His relationship with the police is tense, at best, and his only unequivocal ally is Jeffrey Wright's Lieutenant James Gordon. Gordon brings Batman into the scene of the murder of Gotham's mayor to aid him, something that doesn't best please Alex Ferns, or, as he will forever be known in this country, Trevor of EastEnders, <laughs> police commissioner. But it turns out to be fortuitous as the murderer has left a message for Batman, the first in what will turn out to be many clues, or riddles, left beside an increasing number of murder victims, something that will allow, in a way we've not seen a film, the world's greatest detective to actually detect under that, which is the film's greatest strength. Batman's investigation will see him cross paths with the likes of John Turturro's Carmine Falcone, Zoe Kravitz's Selena Kyle, and an unrecognisable Colin Farrell as the Penguin, amongst other well-known characters from the comics, as he attempts to solve the crimes and protect Gotham. The Gotham we are shown here is absolutely the darkest, gloomiest and most desaturated we've ever seen, and I hope you like browns, reds and greys, as well as Ave Maria, because that's pretty much all you're going to see or hear for three hours. <laughs> well, that and a Batman motif that ought to see composer Michael Jackson sued by John Williams, since it sounds almost exactly like Imperial March, only that it doesn't resolve, which is ever so slightly maddening. <laughs> there are no great surprises in how the plot plays out, nor who is responsible for what, but it really is enjoyable to see a greater focus on Batman's detectificating. Totally a word. <laughs> and Robert Pattinson is really quite enjoyable to watch in the role. He's somewhat less successful as Bruce Wayne, coming across far too emo, though he does at least look suitably haggard, and Wayne is quite a small part of this outing. The supporting cast is pretty solid, right in Kravitz in particular, though Paul Dano suffers from having to be a shrieking lunatic much of the time, and his considerable talents feel rather wasted. Though that's not to say that he's bad, just underused. What is bad is, of course, the voiceover by Batman, which adds precisely zip, but didn't irritate me as much as is often the case, as I had entirely forgotten about it until I came to write these notes. <laughs> the Batmobile, which is largely a 1970s US muscle car, and therefore scores high on believable, but low on in any way interesting or good. <laughs> and the running time, which, as I mentioned, is three hours. Or exactly one minute shy, if you want to be precise about it. The excess length really does come at the end, as the film is a big third reel problem, 
and is very much outstaying its welcome comme le denouement, by which point I had turned into some sort of human sigh machine. <laughs> it's a pity, as it took the shine off of a film I had otherwise very much enjoyed, but fortunately not enough to stop me either recommending it, nor looking forward to another outing with Pattinson donning the Dark Knight's cowl. And hopefully by such time, someone will have been round the Warner Brothers editing facilities and removed the superglue Zack Snyder has presumably put in all the colour and saturation dials. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get to Batman. Um, I haven't so far, so I can't really comment on it uh, too much. But I think it, it does speak volumes of what Warner Brothers has done to what was the most, probably the most recognisable and desirable and marketable you know, superhero name, with the possible exception of Spider-Man, uh, that I'm not that fussed about seeing Batman. <laughs> and if you told me that, you know, back when Christopher Bale was in the cowl, uh, I, I would have thought you were mental. But um, yeah, it was one of the many things that the uh, the whole fallout from the Snyderverse has, has been that um, yeah, it, it just didn't really appeal to me. That and the fact that it was based on the Riddler, and I, I can't really be bothered with Riddler trophies in all the games, so, you know, I was never going to be that bothered about a film, uh, which I presume is based about the same thing about throwing, like, five batarangs in quick succession to open up a series of switches so you can see the film. That's how it works, right? I, th- I think that's the case. I actually quite enjoyed those in the games, because collectibles in games bore me, but the fact that you actually had to solve a wee puzzle to get collectibles in the the Arkham games actually I liked so um, <laughs> I did enjoy those but um, fortunately no, that, that there's no um, difficulty in getting into your seat to watch this uh, <laughs> low effort I know but you know yeah. probably more convenient <laughs> in the end yeah yeah no I'll, I'll get to this if nothing else I'm just um, <laughs> it's fascinating what Warner Brothers are doing with this uh, with their DC properties because it seems like they don't have any idea and <laughs> They're making up as they go, and whether that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing, I, I don't know. Uh, will which version of Joker will show up in this Batman universe? Who can say? Which which Batman will show up in this Batman film? Who can say? It's a it's a it's a wild guess every time. Yeah, so all all very strange. Is this in a different continuity than all the other um, films like Suicide Squad and all that, or or? Is the suicide is the second Suicide Squad in the same continuity as the first Suicide Squad film? It's all very difficult to tell, and uh, it's fascinating in a way, and also extremely stupid. So, <laughs> so um, I'll get to this at some point, and um, I know that I'll, I'll enjoy it, but uh, I, I can't say much more about it than, than that at the minute. Yes, um, some of that that you've said there, Scott, concerns me a bit. Um, <laughs> this new Flash film's coming that has the two Batman in it. Uh, Makes me think of the most recent Spider-Man film, although I think this has been that's been in development for a while now. It's something that I think both mm-hmm. DC and Marvel comics have done lots of times, you know. So it's not like it's copying it, but having seen them do that, and the fact that Spider-Man has been so successful, yeah, I, I have a horrible feeling now they might just try and introduce this film into another future film with more Batman. Like, oh God, <laughs> because they they just. And we've said it, been saying, I've been saying it for years that people at Warner Brothers just have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, just don't seem to have a clue how to do this. Um, and that's like so remarkable, and it sort of has fallen apart a wee bit after the end of Avengers Endgame, and understandably so, I'd guess. Um, and maybe because also it's just been so spread out because Disney have this new streaming service to fill with extra stuff. Uh, yeah. They seem to have done all the properties. But with 
Kevin Feige at the helm doing the production, the executive production stuff on the MCU, it was remarkably cohesive and clearly well thought out. Yeah. And yeah, not all the films were great, but there was a plan. They knew what they were doing, which is conspicuous, conspicuous by its absence in Warner Brothers properties. What I've never understood is that, yes, I, I don't want to diminish that work uh, that he's done, but let's face it, it's not a complicated plan. You know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm this character, this character, this character, then these characters together, this character, this character, all these characters. It it, it seems blindingly obvious, and I don't know if this is just the benefit of hindsight, but, I mean, even Disney itself can't do it, as we saw with Star Wars. You know, just mm. plan out three films in a row and may have that make sense with everything else going around it. It shouldn't be rocket science, but somehow Disney themselves can't do it in other um, wings of their divisions, and uh, yeah, Warner Brothers clearly couldn't do it either. Uh, so so yes. perhaps it's not Disney I should have been praising right at the beginning or actively not not praising. Uh, <laughs> it should have just been Kevin Feige. Um, yeah, because you've had about the Star Wars thing, it's been a bit of a mess. Either uh, Kevin Feige or whoever just decided to give one person a plan, give one mm. singular person control of a whiteboard somewhere where they could stick post-it notes up on and not have someone else come in and randomly reshuffle them at some point um, which seems to be what everyone else is doing it's like rather than have someone actually in charge of it, like I guess this is probably what happened with Warner Brothers is they said, right okay, Snyder you're the man, go and stick these post-it notes in the order that you want them in, and then, then he did that and they went well, actually, I'm not sure they should be post-it notes anymore, can we just not nail, nail some jelly to the wall instead and <laughs> and hence we have this farce that we have in front of us, um, yeah uh, <laughs> I, I don't know this is why I'm not in charge of a studio <laughs> um, because I guess I like Microsoft project too much and I wouldn't fit in with the culture. So yes. <laughs> don't get it. Don't get any of it at all. These people are in charge of billions upon billions of dollars and they appear to be doing it randomly. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how much it's the the case nowadays, but if it was the nineteen eighties you would definitely assume that cocaine was the reason. <laughs> um, but that said, Don Simpson still managed to put films out that were at least vaguely coherent. <laughs> Certainly not always the case with Warner Brothers in particular. <laughs> yeah, how they continue to screw things up, I don't know. And, and I rather feel they'll do it again. Yes. But for now, The Batman, while too long, is good. And Robert Pattinson, quite likable. I'd like to see more of him. So, you know, it's this one has um, escaped largely unscathed. Hmm. Either nonsense. Just you wait. They'll try and fold it into the um, television series Gotham's universe as well. Just why not? It's, it's not messy enough yet. Let's let's cross all the streams. <laughs> okay, we're going. We were talking of Disney. We're going back to another Disney property now. The new Pixar film Turning Red. Scott, tell us about that, please. Yes, uh, Turning Red, which Pixar's latest sees us following 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian Mei Li, uh, voiced by Rosalie Chang, uh, an energetic, high-achieving kid striving to do her best and not disappoint her ancestors, be those historical or immediate, namely her mother, Sandra Oz Ming Li, who is part mother, part helicopter, and seemingly far <laughs> too protective of her child. Some of the rationale for this becomes apparent when one day the little girl turns turns into something else. Not a woman, necessarily, has the title's tilted at menstruation hints, but a panda. A giant red panda. 
Uwu. Uh, whenever strong emotion sits, the woman of May's family will turn into an unusually large red panda in order, as her mother later explains, to protect their family, all the way back to their venerated ancestor, Sun Lee. Uh, and all of a sudden, the temple the family maintained to her makes a bit more sense. This process can be stopped with a ritual performed at the next red moon, a month or so from now. May believes she's able to control her emotions and goes back to the normal school life and returns to dreaming about making it to the upcoming teen bop group Four Star Town. Four Town? I can't remember quite how that was pronounced in the film. Um, their concert, along with the her supportive friend group, if only they could raise some money to afford the tickets. Perhaps by exploiting some supernatural gifts. What could possibly go wrong? Actually, surprisingly little, at least in a strictly physical sense, until her actions caused May's mother to flip her lid, lose her cool, and unleash massive red panda-based destruction upon Toronto. Now, I think you could make a case that the final act panda kaiju tomfoolery is a bridge too far, a decidedly unsubtle escalation of an already established symbolism that doesn't add all that much to the film, apart from giving it a rather more traditional concluding structure. And frankly, it was doing well enough with the battles being more internal in nature, uh, destroying emotions rather than stadiums. Uh, But maybe I'm being a grouch, as I'd argue this is the best thing Pixar's done since Coco. Not as good, in my opinion, but there's maybe a bit of personal bias there towards the setting of Coco that would swing the other way for an Asian community. At any rate, Turning Red is well worth watching, regardless of your ethnicity. It looks really nice, which is pretty much table stakes for Pixar, I guess, but this is a nice blend of what I might call their house style with a touch of the Ghibli influence, and more importantly, May feels like a believable and relatable character. Well, transmogrification aside, and the relationships with her family and her friend group feels similarly real. It's one of the very few North American films I've seen with a school dynamic that seems relatable, rather than an adaptation of Lord of the Flies. (laughs) Uh, So, in short, a lot to like, and very little, if anything, to dislike. It's my movie watch recommendation of the week. I found Turning Red really, really solid. I've had very bad experiences with um, Pixar films of late. Yeah, I, I think I've liked them a bit more than you do, but this is heads and shoulders above anything they've done, as I say, since Coco. Yeah, yeah, I would certainly would agree it's the best thing since Coco. Oh, no, it's Toy Story 4 since Coco, wasn't it? Uh, would have been, yes. I like Toy Story 4 more. Okay. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's really good, certainly compared to Onward and... Luca? Was that the last one? Like, Luca. So, I like Soul. Um, Soul's pretty good. Oh, no, but, yeah. Soul's okay. I forgot yeah. about They actually do crank these out, don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Soul's decent, but this is certainly better than Soul. But onward and Luca, I found particularly miserable experiences. Yeah. This I was afraid I was going to as well, because basically within about five or six seconds of the film started, starting, I wanted the child to be hit by a bus. <laughs> Just that, that opening um, scene when she's like, describing herself and then she's doing all those annoying things in the street, Just the, the mannerisms and the, what she was saying, like, please child, be hit by a bus. Trifle harsh, trifle harsh. But <laughs> I disagree, but um, <laughs> that's, that's the side when we can peacefully disagree, Scott, without <laughs> invading Ukraine. <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, yes, uh, it didn't start well, uh, and but then almost in spite of myself, quite soon after, I found myself laughing a bit, and I warmed up the film quite quickly. Mm-hmm. It looks nice, I guess. Actually, I don't think I liked the character design much. It felt like it was a bit, it kind of felt like it was aping Ardman a wee bit. It was yeah, it does. The, the, the mouth animations and what that is particular, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not that that's bad necessarily, but it, just, it felt like somebody else's work um, in that way. <laughs> That's mine. It's it's quite entertaining. It's funny. 
to a degree, I agree with your point about the school thing. Yes, it doesn't feel like American schools always look like incredibly alien places to me. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen anything even vaguely relatable in them. It's like one step away from open warfare all the time, and it just yeah. doesn't seem right at all. Whereas this had a, it seemed to have a nice supportive group of friends, and it all felt quite believable. And the school was okay. There was a bully there, but it wasn't like a bully that was threatening to murder your family or anything like that. Yeah. You know, it was, it was all very, uh, very believable for for well, certainly for this kind of thing as far as, as, far as I can experience. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the school feels. I mean, believable, so, you know, not this horrible, horrible place that so many American schools seem like. And if that's what American schools are like, then I'm glad I never went to school there because they look mm. like horrendous places. Yeah. Uh, if there's something I didn't like about that, it's not so much the schools are friends, which who are quite entertaining, but um, I don't know, maybe a wee bit one note. They could perhaps have had their characters being fleshed out a little. Yeah. And uh, there's one um, of her friends... And again, this isn't a major point, it's more of a comedy, but yeah, Priya, who acts like she's about 35, <laughs> and the character's kind of drawn to look like she's 35 too, and it's, um, I mean, it's slightly odd. <laughs> but yeah, it's quite entertaining, it's it's not got any sort of like deep heart, like um, like say Toy Story 3 or anything like that, um, some of their other best stuff at Coco. Mm-hmm. It's funny, it's entertaining. You're absolutely right, the the end is too much. Like, oh, right, Pandazilla, okay. That's that, Yeah. Um, it's it's got a bit of the we're not quite sure how to end this. Let's mm, go big and then go home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really do it. No, yeah. Nobody's going to mind about the several hundreds of millions of dollars done to Toronto's um landmark. <laughs> yeah. We'll somehow let the fact that and maybe it's deliberately, not just because it's a sort of semi-autobiographical thing from the director, but um, the fact that it's set in the nineteen or early 2000s, I guess, um, and pre-YouTube and pre-smartphones um, with cameras and stuff like that, people won't know about this panda, but nobody seems curious about that. I'll let that <laughs> pass, but but the, the giant monster yes. destroying the Sky <laughs> Dome, mm, that's odd. Um it does what it does have is is giant pandas but giant red pandas which is great because red pandas are awesome whereas giant <laughs> pandas are garbage bears for garbage people um my antipathy towards pandas will not be ending ever they are rubbish bears all bears are awesome apart from giant pandas you should not have watched fight club at such an early age it's really ruined you <laughs> Of all the things you could have taken from it, it's not toxic masculinity, it's nothing else. It's just an abstract hatred of pandas. <laughs> uh, don't get it. There are some sort of lines in there too that I, I think are meant to be comedy because they're meant to sound so portentous, and I am amused. But if they were meant to be serious, then I think they're bad lines. But things like, there was a darkness to the panda mamey. That tickled me, but I just hope it wasn't meant to be serious. <laughs> I was weirdly forced to think of. Thundercats at one point because the sword that James Holmes Carter uses in the ceremony looked remarkably like the Sword of Omens. Um, <laughs> that's just me and my strange weirdnesses, I suspect, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to mention it. I think perhaps one of the bigger problems was the soundtrack because boy band music is not my thing. This film has a lot of that. It is not good. Given the, the Story, I understand why it's in there. I just, I do not like it. I do not prefer it, but that's not necessarily a fault with the film. 
tell me why. It ain't nothing but a heartache. Okay, it's very much a fault with the film <laughs> because it's boy band music and it's terrible. Is that better? I'm being honest now. Well, I want it that way. See, I don't even know it well enough to know that you were making a joke there. Or like the joke I thought you were making, not the joke I thought you were making. Uh, Backstreet's back. All right. Was that the one with Justin Timberlake or was that NSYNC? These are the ones I know. Rock your body. Backstreet's back. All right. I did appreciate how very Canadian the film was with like <laughs> the, the box of Tim bits on the table at one point. <laughs> Yeah, they're great and also very, very Canadian. Um, <laughs> well, the last Tim Burton's I had was in Mexico. It still counts, right? It's still America. <laughs> in Mexico, are they Tim Burton's and not Tim Hortons? Because that's um, that's quite a quite a difference. <laughs> the last Tim Hortons I had was like three miles from my house last week or two weeks ago. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've never been able to drive past the Tim Hortons. Um, without calling it Tim Burton's to my wife who's in the car with me. So let's go to Tim Burton's. It's, it's, it's just a better name for it. And it's a far more far more um, pleasing gothic exterior that it would have. They just should rebrand themselves. I'm just saying it should happen. I think Tim Bits would be quite different then. <laughs> along the lines of uh, The Night Before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate seeing that. It's a nice wee touch. This Pixar stuff tends to be full of wee details like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest problem I had, other than the end, is just that her mother's an idiot. I don't have a lot of time for Carl She was a bit kind of one note. Yeah, um, she's a helicopter bit. She's she's one of these life. characters that needs to be that needs to act a way to have the plot happen, rather than how it feels like the character yeah. should act. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the stupid misunderstanding with the boy in the the shop. Like you didn't even like mm. ask any questions. You made this stupid assumption that's yeah. And her family in general, her dad's a bit of a wet blanket. He's kind of henpecked would be the word, I think. Mm. But the family are all a bit, nah, but fairly minor. But all the stuff with May and her and her friends, that's, that's quite nice. It's quite natural. There isn't that the horrible bullying, as you said. It's um, And it's fun. It's got a bit of heart to it. It's very, very far from Pixar's best film. But it's, I say, for the, the time last over the last few, I've not had a great deal of success. This is much more up there. I had forgotten about um, Solo, so I'm glad you mentioned that. So it's not all been horrible. This is it's pretty solid. You're, I'd be surprised if you didn't enjoy this. Although mm. people might have been surprised I didn't enjoy. Luca, you certainly were, because you seemed to like it. And I hated it <laughs> um, to the point I could barely get to the end of it. So... <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, I, I did enjoy this one, though. I'd recommend this one. Good, good. Um, let's move on then to wrap things up with Free Guy. What's that all about then? You'll remember I mentioned uh, Ryan Reynolds pissing on my chips, yes? Yes, I remember some chips being pissed up on, yes. <laughs> yes, this was it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, films and video games have never really gotten on, have they? No. Nor films and computers. Incidentally, how can it be that War Games from 1983 is still near the top of the list of even vaguely reasonable portrayal of computers on film? <laughs> At least we're an important part of the plot. So, a film with computers and video games that it doesn't understand how either works, and a clean shave environmentalist to boot, could only ever hold pain for me. <laughs> 
I suppose then I should come to terms with the fact that I'm clearly a masochist. Because I can't work out why else I watched Free Guy, other than that I couldn't be arsed leaving the house that day to see Uncharted, and apparently films not getting video games was an itch I wanted to scratch. (laughs) Rather than being an adaptation of a game, though, Free Guy is set in the world of one, and clearly thinks it's the Truman Show, but is in fact much more like the Lego movie mixed with Ready Player One. And worse than either of those... Yes, there's films worse than Ready Player One. Uh, Ryan Reynolds' guy is an NPC, a non-playable character, for those not familiar with that term, whose days entail getting the same coffee from the same coffee shop and going to the same job at the same bank, a job that mostly entails lying flat on the floor while heroes, who are of course the human players, rob the place multiple times per day. Passed in the street one day by one of these heroes, Jodie Comer's Millie, his world gets flipped, turned upside down, and suddenly he begins questioning his existence. This is because he's becoming a real boy, and while there may be no strings on him, there are strings of code in him that are facilitating this. Strings of code that happen to prove that the artificial intelligence program Millie wrote with her partner, Keys, Stranger Things Joe Keery, is indeed the basis of Free City, the game in which Guy, for want of a better word, lives. As this is specifically against the agreement the two had with Taika Waititi's games executive Antoine, when he acquired their IP, she's a bit pissed and has been playing Free City regularly in the hope of discovering evidence of it. The new Free Guy becomes a sensation in the game, and players and streamers all over the world are wondering who this amazing blue shirt guy is, who became incredibly successful in the game through the never-before-tried tactic of playing the good guy. One of a number of times the film confuses being smart with being smart arse. Millie, of course, falls in love with him before realising he's not even a real person, despite looking like Ryan Reynolds, which I thought was a dead giveaway, and definitely not just a cheap joke. A ticking clock is then put on things because the sequel is being released in two days and the first game will be shut down and also deleted at its launch, I think. Eh. So Millie must find a way to save Guy and prove Antoine's stellar code and also stop Antoine, the Y-Star plans, from killing Guy. It's all very, very stupid. Which wouldn't itself be entirely awful if the film wasn't also annoying and boring. <laughs> Taika Waititi, whose presence in the film is really the only reason I watch Free Guy, is absolutely squandered. He's not funny. His character's not clever or insightful. At least the film's consistent, I guess. He's just a petulant man-child who doesn't want to be found out of having nicked someone else's work. Nominally, he's the villain. He's pretty milk toast, Especially when you compare him to actual video games executives whether it's rapists protecting, rapists enriching scumbags like Ubisoft's Eve Guillermo, cold-eyed sociopaths like Activision Blizzard's Bobby Kotick, super creepy bastards like Gearbox's Randy Pitchford, or the crunch-glorifying people atop Rockstar Games, makers of Grand Theft Auto, the game's free city is most clearly based on. Now, I'm not saying that this vapid film is necessarily the place to have a go to any of those, but when you compare the character to real-world examples, he's pretty much a non-entity. It's almost like they didn't even try. And that's it. They didn't try. 
Free Guy feels like a quick cash grab and not something anyone had any passion or fondness for, relying as it does on fan service and references. Ooh, 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 a lightsaber, I know that. Insert Rich Evans and Jay Bowman clapping here, please. <laughs> uh, Captain America's shield, woo, that's so much better than character or dialogue. The game featured in the film, as I've mentioned, feels most like an entry into the Grand Theft Auto series, though with particularly garish visuals layered on top that perhaps call to mind the likes of Fortnite, but mostly terrible trash mobile games. It is also, weirdly, small feeling. GTA is marked out by its vast scale, yet the world of three cities seems to cover perhaps two or three city blocks. Small in vision, small in ambition, ignorant of how pretty much anything or anyone works, Free Guy is terrible, boring dreck, and naturally already has a sequel lined up. <laughs> I despair. Oh, I have not seen this and I have very little to add. Um, my, my only interest in it was really the presence of Taika Waititi and um, uh, I guess a heard at some point that he had been largely wasted in this and you've just confirmed that, so yes, there is no reason for me to pretend that this film exists anymore. So I'm <laughs> inserting it directly down the memory hole and forgetting anything about it <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, a shame. Uh, I think th- from what you've said and what I understand about it, there's the core of a decent idea in here somewhere that you could make a film about, but apparently it just isn't this one. Uh, no, nope. <laughs> but it, it, it's one of these things. It, it does not seem like a bad idea in some form, but yeah, very much does not sound like it is this one. Uh, but yeah, there, there's something here. Maybe this could be remade at some point, different line with a different name, and um, find the, the germ of what would, would make this interesting. But um, yeah, this does not sound like it. <laughs> no, it's and it's you know, Ready Player One. When, I mean, most of that film's terrible garbage, so um, it's hard to pick at one particular point. <laughs> but for instance, the at the end when everybody's running around in the streets in VR, um, which makes not a lick of sense. Yeah. And then there's the the scene where a whole bunch of people get killed in the game world in a row, and suddenly somehow they're like in a row in their office. Yeah. <laughs> that that level of complete misunderstanding of how anything works pervades this. <laughs> it, when Takerititi starts uh, smashing up the servers, which are in the um, the offices of the company and not in a data center somewhere, but I'll let that go. Maybe that happens. I don't know. Um, but then he he starts smashing up the servers, and it means each server represents like one part of the city. Hmm. <laughs> um, it's just stuff like that. So you don't understand anything works, and it's just so miserable and boring and then by the time we got to the fan service like, no go away <laughs> I've seen a variety of articles and there's a few other news stories going about how Sean Levy the director and Ryan Reynolds got to um, got Disney to allow them to use like the lightsaber and stuff it was made by 20th Century Studios which is owned by Disney it doesn't seem a mystery to me yes <laughs> And also, yeah, that's this. I've seen like the that same headline so many sites, like because that's all people are interested in is fan service and recognizing pop culture stuff, and it's just so vapid. Yeah, I can't stand that stuff. Who needs new things when you can remember old things? 
Yeah, which was, of course, the entire point of Ready Player One. And so this has got a lot of the same feelings there. Just At least Ready Player One had a plot. This barely does. It doesn't make any sense. No. Uh, and also, I was going to mention this. I have just looked at the poster. I can barely distinguish between this poster and the one for the Adam Project. They're the same thing. <laughs> it's the Pyramid of Heads again. Yeah. Why are all posters the same poster? <laughs> Did some law get passed that I missed? Because it, 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 oh, no. Um, I'll leave that rant for, uh, or continued rant for another day. But <laughs> yeah, th- this film is just garbage, absolute garbage. And what a waste of time, Kawaititi. Fair news. So, not recommended then. <laughs> Let's check. Yes, that's right, Scott. Not recommended. Just to <laughs> just be abundantly clear on the issue. <laughs> well, that will wrap us up for today. Thank you very much for attention. If you want to get in touch with us, then you can do. Uh, podcast at fudsonfilm.com's email address uh, or twitter.com slash fudsonfilm. We're still there occasionally. And facebook.com slash fudsonfilm. Whatever there. But you can try it anyway. Um, <laughs> And so, until next time, I'll say goodbye, and I'm sure that Drew will do too. Fare thee well. Ta-ta! Ta-ta!